Uncle Walter's Year of Wonder. April. Hey, how are you? It's good to see you again, now that the cold is gone, even if it isn't as warm as one would like yet. Mind your step, it's so wet. Seems like it's been raining all week. It's dry up here on the porch. Come up and hang your coat by the door. All this rain. Typical April weather, my mother would have said. April showers bring May flowers and all that. The early April rain can waterlog the earth, stalling any flowers. So don't put your faith in Proverbs. That's all I'm saying. For instance... Killing two birds with one stone? That's not something to be taken literally, except when you happen to be close enough with a big enough stone, like Jack, but more him later. For that reminds me of another phrase, a friend in need is a friend indeed. I found that confusing, but friendship is often confusing when you're in your teens. Oh, here's one more. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Another misleading adage to add to the list is if you can really choose your friends. True, in a classroom of near 30 kids, you have a semblance of choice. And unlike your family, you're not stuck with friends at the end of the school day. But you don't get to choose who is in the class or the fact you have to go to school in the first place or the fact that one day you end up in the same room where Jack and his friend Colvin were serving yet another detention. Jack Brody was in the year above me, eyes as dark as creamless coffee and hair like sun-bleached hay. His brother was in my class and friends with Colvin, which meant they all hung out together. They were rough kids, rougher than I was, one time I ran into the three of them while playing in the woods not far from my home. I was surprised and a little nervous to see them. What you doing here? Jack said as if I were trespassing. Don't worry about Walter Elliot, his brother said. He's in my class, teacher's pet. Well, wasn't exactly the teacher's pet, but neither did I go out of my way to find trouble. Too scared to run, I found myself standing with them in a circle while we took turns throwing Jack's flick knife between our feet, daring each other to bring our legs closer together each time the knife had gone round the circle. I didn't flinch, even though I really wanted to run, and the game ended when Jack speared Colvin's tennis shoe, sending him hopping and yelling between the hickories. You ain't so bad, Elliot. Jack said, maybe see you around. As I walked home, I had the idea that it was probably a good idea not to be seeing Jack around too much while relieved to be on his ain't-so-bad list. And it was a rainy April day, right before spring break. I was 14, and baseball had been canceled due to rainfall, so coach had found us jobs to do. 
Mine was to go and tidy out a school supply cupboard in what was used as both the home ec and art room. Just so happened that it was the same room being used for detention that day. And the only two people in there were Jack and Colvin. What are you doing here, Elliot? Jack said as I walked in the room. Colvin simply sniggered. Quiet down, Brody, said the teacher, Mr. Riesling, a big math teacher with an even bigger beard. I went off to the store cupboard, which was a mixture of pots, pans, paper, and art equipment. I was in the middle of moving some boxes of cardstock when Mr. Riesling appeared at the door. I'm going to the office for a few minutes. Brody and Anderson know to behave themselves. Carry on. As soon as the door had shut, I heard moving of chairs and footsteps headed my way. Look at all this stuff, Jack said, and before I could reply, he and Colvin rifled through the shelves. Look at these, said Colvin, who had found a couple of small sieves and was using them as a makeshift brassiere on his chest. It was hard not to laugh, despite my unease at their presence. There's some cool stuff here, Jack said, opening smaller boxes containing colored pens. He immediately rammed two in his pockets, then looked for other things he could take. Hey, I said as he put a pencil sharpener in his rear pocket. What are you worried about? No one knows what the hell is in here. Just don't take much. There must be something in here you want. But he's the teacher's pet, said Colvin, who was stuffing teaspoons down his pants as if they were silver daggers. Jack kept looking at me, and I knew he was waiting for me to prove Colvin wrong. There was nothing in there I wanted, but I had just counted some packs of board chalk and thought that well, my sister Jackie may like them as she always drew on our porch in summer, and by doing it for her... It wouldn't feel as much like the stealing it actually was. An unexpected thrill ran through me as I took a pack of chalk and stuffed it into my pants pocket. My heart ran faster, but it nearly tripped over itself at the sound of Mr. Riesling returning. What the heck do you think you're doing? He called out. I looked for the others, but unbeknownst to me, Jack and Colvin's well-trained ears must have heard him coming as they'd left the storeroom and innocently wandered the room. Those two maybe, but I thought better of you, Elliot, said Mr. Riesling. He was looking down at my pants. What's in your pocket? Jack and Colvin stared at me. Nothing, I said, trying to wish the whole situation would transform into nothing. I'm not stupid. Look at all that chalk dust around your pockets and down your pants. I looked, then reluctantly eased out the pack of chalk from my pocket. I must have gone red, and maybe I looked as if I was going to cry, but I still hadn't expected Jack to get up from his seat. It's our fault, he said. Elliot wouldn't have done it if we hadn't told him to. Mr. Riesling looked from Jack, then back at me, and then at his watch. He clearly had better things planned for his evening than dealing with petty teenage theft. 
put the chalk back and get off, the lot of you. As Jack and Colvin sped off, Mr. Riesling caught my shoulder. I can't remember you hanging out with those two before. Just be careful who you're friends with, all right? And it wasn't just Mr. Riesling who was keen to give me advice about Jack Brody. Jackie tells me you've been spending time with that Brody kid at school, my dad said one evening. He never took too much notice of what I was up to, trusting I would make good decisions and generally not be an idiot, though he couldn't keep quiet about this. Just, just be careful. But I did find myself hanging out with Jack again and again. I knew he was capable of more than just stealing pens, but he'd unexpectedly come to my aid when it looked like my reputation among the staff would be stained, and it definitely saved a phone call to my parents. It's what friends do, he would explain, and although I didn't feel we'd done enough to be exactly called friends, no one's company produced the excitement like that of being with Jack. Elliot, he would call out in the hallway, and he'd put his arm around me and discuss plans for shenanigans both in and out of school. And more often than not, I'd agree to go along. At first, we'd get up to mischief that caused me no alarm, like switching bags and lockers or letting air down on the bike tires. And I reasoned to myself that it was nice to see the other side of such pranks. Plus, being Jack's friend got me noticed and talked about in a different way, so I was more than happy to go along with this act. And even when we started doing things that previously I had been uh, uncomfortable with, I didn't feel like backing out right then. Like the time he told me he'd let me take part in a game Jack had called Ghost. And I don't just let anyone come, he'd said. We would find a house, and out of view, Jack would creep up to the door and knock loudly. He'd then flee, find a hiding spot, and watch the occupier open the door and look out, wondering who was there and where they had gone. Some of them look really scared, as if they'd seen a ghost, he said. And he was right. An older woman, in a cabin house tucked away from the road, had looked terrified when she answered the door only to find no one there. I laughed in silence along with Jack and Colvin, who invariably accompanied Jack everywhere unless his parents had grounded him. My laughter was a mix of fun and fear, but the effect of the adrenaline pleased me. The adrenaline cared little for the reason it was summoned. Your turn, Jack said after we'd cycled about half a mile to a bigger house with two cars in the driveway. I knew there was no way of getting out of it, nor that I wanted to get out of it. But as I crept up the driveway, a similar length to my own, the possibility that this wasn't my wisest move surfaced. But this was quickly drowned by that helpful adrenaline and the looks of approval from Jack and Colvin in their hiding places behind a bush. 
I thought whoever was in the house would hear my heart beating before I'd even knocked. And after a slight hesitation, where I realized I was actually going to do it, I knocked five times as loud as I could. It echoed like firecrackers in my head. I turned and ran, my thighs burning as I ran straight past my accomplices and out along the lane, stopping only when I was sure I could not be heard, before hollering and yelling, collapsing in a heap at the base of a tree. Jack and Colvin were laughing when they caught up with me. You've got it, said Jack. Fun, isn't it? And it was fun and nerve-wracking. We ran out of houses to ghost in our area, so we ventured into the outskirts of Huron City, where houses were more plenty. I liked that Jack had accepted me into his world and considered me important. And for the time being, I was happy to go along with whatever he was planning for us. But Jack also wanted to move into different ventures too poor for spray cans and the emerging graffiti phenomena, we would take paper and chew it like wasps did until it had turned into a mush. When we'd achieved the right consistency, we threw it at windows, waiting for the satisfying sound as it splattered across the glass. For a good week, we decorated downstairs and upstairs windows with our adolescent blend of graffiti. A couple of times we were spotted, someone shouted, and one time we were chased. Again, that surge of adrenaline sending us biking quickly out of trouble. Then one day, just me and Jack this time, we're getting our paper ready and we spied a patrolling police car. There's always Clancy's Church by Barnard's house, Jack said. Those stained glass windows would look better with some of our artwork on them. And no one's lived in Barnard's house for ages. I fell quiet. It will be fine, Jack said when I did not respond. I know you ain't chicken, he smiled. Okay, was all I said. And so it was in late April on a Friday afternoon that the three of us met. Rain had sent us under some trees, and Jack showed us the colored paper he had brought to add variety to our task. Gonna be our best work yet, he said. The night before, adrenaline had pumped through me, making sleep difficult, and I had woken that morning full of anxiety. As Jack stuffed the paper back into his bag, the rain started to come down harder. I deliberately made my bike wheels slip in the mud. Maybe we should do it another day, I said. Jack and Colvin looked at me, and then Colvin looked at his feet as Jack walked my way. He stood close enough that I could see the dirt on his eyelashes. It's only rain. Now you get on that bike. And so we cycled in silence the rain coming down harder every hundred yards. By the time we'd passed the empty Barnard's house, we were soaked as if dunked in the lake. The church was wooden. It looked ancient to me, but was probably only a hundred years old. 
and there was some stained glass at the rear. A couple of large rectangles with a curved arch on top. We let our bikes fall, and Jack and Colvin got to work on the paper, chewing like crazy cows. I, I just held a piece in my hand. I couldn't do it. Not here. Not at the church. By the time they'd noticed my lack of chewing, Jack and Colvin had a ball of paper mush ready in their hands, red and blue, respectively. What you waiting for, Jack said, a flick knife snap in his voice. Told you he was really teacher's pet, said Colvin. You can't bail now, growled Jack. There was a thud that broke the tension. Colvin had thrown his paper ball and it stuck to the side of the church, having missed the window. I'll show you how it's done, said Jack. His throw hit the glass, the red dye from the paper trickling down like blood. He laughed. Colvin laughed. And they started making another ball. Come on, Elliot, Jack snarled. He crumpled paper and thrust it into mine. He looked upset as much as angry, as if I were abstaining in order to hurt him. I did nothing and I watched as an increasingly irate Jack threw ball upon ball of sodden paper splattering out of the window inside of the church. The pair of them danced in the rain, <laughs> laughing and shouting, muddy imps crazed with something I no longer wanted. What you gonna do about him, Colvin said. I'll let him be, said Jack. I ain't gonna be no pet sitter anymore. And with that, he dropped his ball of mush and picked up a handful of mud and hurled it in the direction of the church. A harsh clatter rattled the window, presumably from small stones from the mud. Jack cackled, and in a frenzy, he slung handful after handful of mud churchwards until the inevitable smash of glass could be heard. With their laughter filling the air, Jack and Colvin found larger and larger stones until a cascade of crashing glass rang out over the fields. I picked up my bike and took off, the wheels slipping generally in the mud this time. And as I pedaled as fast as I could, the sound of glass breaking continued until it was joined by the sound of a far-off vehicle that was clearly headed our way. I turned to see a black car in the distance and two drenched, muddy kids cycling like demons towards me. Go faster, we can get away, Jack said. And I knew he was worried, but I knew we couldn't outrun a car. We pedaled so much my legs hurt. And while the other two kept going, I came to a stop. Not only had the car caught up with us, it also displayed its blue and red flashing lights with a siren cutting through the pouring rain. By the time the three of us stood in a row next to the police car, we all shivered with cold. My adrenaline threatened to send my heart escaping through the ribs, 
and I clenched my hands, wishing somehow I could be anywhere else on Earth. This wasn't the type of thing that happened to me. Brody, Anderson, how disappointing to see you two again, said the policeman. And you, who are you? Walter Elliot, sir, I said. Got yourself mixed up with these idiots, have you? The policeman continued looking at me with something akin to pity. Looks like you boys were creating some damage back there. Serious business. So, you gonna tell me who did what? We all looked at our feet, as well as catching glances at each other. Colvin looked anxious. Jack, just angry. My teeth were clenching so hard I thought they'd break. And before I knew what I was doing, I spoke. I didn't do it. I didn't break the windows, I said. Hey! Jack had started to say, but he was silenced by the policeman. But you were there, Walter, said the policeman. You weren't out here by accident, though it's true you were not at the church when I came. He did it too, blurted out Colvin, who was quickly admonished. The policeman looked us up and down. I noticed my hands. Look, I said, thrusting them out. No mud, no paper. I was there, but I left. I didn't throw nothing. Inside of me, every piece of my being shook. I looked straight ahead while the policeman examined my hands, which were indeed clean and wet. No mud in the fingernails, no stains of colored paper on my fingers. He had the other two hold out their hands. Remnants of paper stuck between fingers. Sticky mud covered their hands and up to their wrists. And rivulets of colored dye ran along their forearms. Go off home, Walter, he said. I better not see you again. Jack and Colvin were ushered into the back seat. And I could tell Jack's eyes never left me. Even when I turned away to pick both our bikes up, as Colvin's was the only one that could fit in the trunk. As I walked Jack's bike all the way back to his house, I attempted to scrub the last few weeks with Jack from my thoughts. By the time I left the bike at the end of his drive, the rain fell harder still, and I let it pour all over me, washing away the adrenaline and Jack's mad laughter. I was glad the weekend came and I had no school. I stayed in, not wanting to run into anyone, and I barely left my room. Not seeing your friend Jack this weekend, my dad said. He's not my friend, really, I said. Good, my dad replied. I heard there was some damage done to Clancy's church Friday night. Know anything about it? He stared at me, and neither of us really wanted the full story. It wasn't me, I promise, I said, and that was enough for him, for the moment anyway. On Monday, I tried to avoid Jack, but our paths crossed in the hallway early afternoon. 
I wasn't going to speak, but Jack did. You were there too, you coward, he said. But I didn't do... Sit on it, Elliot, he interrupted, shaking his head. Some friend you are. And off he walked down the corridor. We never did hang out again, and when our paths did cross, it was as strangers. I did feel guilty for a while after that. I hadn't been a friend, and I hadn't wanted to. I'd got something from Jack and his world, but I'd have never let him into mine. He'd been the genuine one, and I'd failed him somehow. I think he did like me, but we were never thick as thieves, to quote another old saying. And speaking of sayings, time flies and all that, and I don't want to keep you any longer, especially now the rain has stopped. Uh, don't forget your coat, too. April showers bring May flowers, but really, they just bring rain, and everything is a little bit more disappointing and uncomfortable in the rain. Take care as you drive, and I hope I do see you again. Feels like we could be becoming friends at this rate. And this time, I'll just enjoy you for who you are, and not for the things you bring me. I'd like that. I'd like that a lot. Take care. listening to Marty Garavaglia as Uncle Walter. The show was written and produced by Daniel Williams. Uncle Walter's Year of Wonder is a Huron City radio show for Albion Fields Productions.